Today we're continuing our series we call Then, Now, Next. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 8, so if you want to follow along on either the YouVersion Bible app or get a good old-fashioned Bible out and follow along with us, we're talking about the church. We're talking about why it matters. We're talking about uh, where we fit in and what the church itself is. And we're taking some lessons from the past, both in uh, ancient wisdom that we find in Scripture and what God has to say to us through His Word, but also we are taking a look through some of the great stories of church history and then bringing it on up to today. And so we're looking at different ways that the church is represented. So today we're going to look at this. The church are the people that are ready. We are always ready. They thought they were ready when they left Egypt. But as we find out, they get their first little taste of battle and they begin to shrink back. That they're nowhere near ready. They being the Israelites, God's people who had been delivered from slavery. And they'd been promised that God was going to lead them to this promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. A place that they could call their own. And they thought they were ready. They probably thought that they were going to go straight from Egypt into the promised land. But God had other plans. And I want to talk today about why. And the big reason that God gives in Scripture is that He wants them to be ready. They're just not ready. I want you to think about a time in your life maybe where something that you want, were really looking forward to, uh, but it, you just weren't ready for it when the time came. I remember when my middle daughter, Olivia, was quite young, we had this water slide at a place called Lake Gregory, and it was this thing that they just had designed to where all it did would, was make you want to get on that thing. And so you looked forward to, as a little kid, being able to hit that, that mark, that height requirement that allowed you to go on. Or, or maybe you did the same kind of thing at Disneyland or, or whatever. And so year after year, we would go to the same water slide, and she would have her heart broken because she was never tall enough. Uh, I remember going... Uh, to the, G- the DMV on my 16th birthday and arriving there with all this enthusiasm, with all this joy in my heart that I was finally going to be able to drive a car, only to find out that it happened to be Columbus Day and the DMV was closed. So you get to these little milestones in your walk uh, with Christ as well. Those things that you're looking forward to, maybe you have some dreams or some visions for your life where you'd like to see it go. And the question you've got on your mind today is, what in the world is going on? How long am I going to have to wait? How long do we, do we have to wait? I'll tell you right now, with regards to the grand project, I think that very thing. How long are we going to have to wait? The answer is, not very long at all. But that whole period between the escape of, uh, slave, from slavery in Egypt to the promised land for the Israelites gives us a ton of instruction Because God's willing to share with his people why it's happening. He doesn't have to, but he does anyway. Why doesn't God just simply let them go ahead and go on into the promised land? And it's because he's preparing them for life when they're there. We often think that we're, we're always ready, right? We always think we're ready. I'm ready to play in the big game. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to be a mom or a dad. I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do that. And God, in His infinite wisdom, often shows up in different ways, uh, that remind, in ways that remind us that maybe we're not as ready as we think we are. Sometimes the worst thing that could happen to us is for us to get what we want when we want it. And so sometimes God says, no, period. Sometimes God says, wait. Sometimes God says, yes, you can have it now. But in my experience, many of the things that are are worthwhile, and we see this in the journey of the Israelites from captivity to the promised land, is that in the waiting, God prepares us to be better when we're there. So their wandering time is now coming toward an end. 
We're in the book of Deuteronomy, and from a wilderness perspective, if you want to look at it in height requirements, they're now 40 years tall. They've been at this thing 40 years, and God is uh, ready to give them some new instructions. And so uh, why don't you follow along with me? Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 to 9. It's a little bit long, so I'm going to pause here and there and walk you through it, okay? The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. So he sees it as a time when he's, he's leading them and he doesn't want them to forget it. And then listen to this. So that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. So there's your reason. Whether you would keep his commandments or not, and he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That he might, so whenever you see these phrases, he might, he might, so that he might, he's giving you the reason, that there's a purpose behind this. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you. Your foot didn't swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. So I hope you heard what he said there. What he was, he was saying, listen, I was preparing you. The land I promised you has not changed. It's still there, but you weren't ready to live in it yet. And so I had some things to teach you. I needed to humble you. I needed to see where your heart really was. I needed you to learn, for instance, through uh, manna, for instance, uh, that God provides daily bread. You don't, just, you, know, you don't just go out and manufacture it on yourself, that man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he gives them this list. You know, you had to depend on me for daily food and water and guidance. Now, their diet used to lack a lot of variety, right? Uh, they got tired of it. Now, I have kids, and even they can get potentially tired of mac and cheese. Eventually, he, they eat nothing but manna for 40 years, essentially, with a little dash of quail here and there. But they get this now, this new menu that he gives them. He goes, now, nah, you got, you got figs, and you got, you got vines, and you've got uh, pomegranates, and you've got all this stuff. And he says, I was making sure that you were trained spiritually so that when you receive these things, you're not going to sit back and go, oh, okay, we did that ourselves, but we did it, <laughs> we didn't do anything. That God gave it to us and provided it to us. God's saying all that manna stuff, it was to prepare you for a time in which there's going to be bread and there's going to be pomegranates and wheat and barley and fresh water flowing all the time. Well, they needed to be prepared. I remember many years ago, my dad used to, he has all these little sayings. I, my dad's name is Gene. I called him Genisms. And he would say these little things like, I can remember him when I was rather young, he would quote the familiar refrain to me, I am not raising your kids and I'm not paying your bills. I mean, I can remember him putting his hand on my shoulder and saying that when I was very young, I, like probably even you know, fourth, fifth grade, something like that. I can remember him saying that to me. 
Now, why would he say that? I mean, I'm going to make the case that it was so that when I actually had kids and had to pay bills, I would be prepared to raise my kids and pay my bills. What he's saying in instructing me is preparing me for something in the future, even if in the present it wasn't what I would have wanted to be taught. God says in Deuteronomy 8, 6, he says, As a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. It's intended for our good, a way of preparing us for life that we think we're, we're ready for, but we probably aren't. So, that, for instance, the manna and the quail, that taught them uh, that every day's bread came only from God. That cloud and fire, that taught them that only God could light their way. That God guided them at all times and that they'd be lost without him. The teaching to rest every seventh day, that taught them to rest. It taught them how to obey the commands of God. So here's a question for you, maybe the frustrated, the impatient, the downtrodden. Are you willing to let the current wilderness you're in train you, prepare you? In Hebrews chapter 12, 11 to 14, Scripture tells us this. It says, For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He says at the, at the moment discipline seems painful. Nobody enjoys it. But eventually, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And so he says, instead of letting it overcome you, strengthen, you know, as your shoulders are, you know, slumping over and we're eoring our way through life, he says, throw them back, strengthen yourself, because what God is doing is preparing you for something great in the future. God sustains us in the wilderness and in the promised land. And we often have a tendency to think that God only exists and he's only doing anything in our lives when we're over in the promised land in some way, shape, or form. But in fact, he's with us all the time. And sometimes the, the time when we could feel closest to God is when we're out there in the wilderness and we don't even realize the many ways that he's providing for us, that he's guiding us on a daily basis, the ways that he's helping get us through all of these different things that we're going through in the current moment. When we teach our kids how to drive before letting them go out on their own, that's a good idea. Some of them aren't very good even after we've trained them. But once we train them, they have a much better chance of being out on the road and being a fairly constructive, non-fatal driver. And it isn't just to make their lives miserable. It's to prepare them for life behind the wheel. It's more important that they follow the road rules when they're actually out driving the car. And so whether we prepare, okay, and what we prepare for, is often going to determine whether the promised land is a blessing or a curse to us. I want to say that again. Whether we prepare and what we prepare for will often determine whether the promised land is a blessing or a curse to us. So here's another question for you. Are we preparing for our promised land? Or are we trying to build our own promised land in the middle of the wilderness somewhere? It's important to prepare for life in both the wilderness and the promised land. In Hebrews chapter 5, a little bit earlier in the book, uh, he's talking about people who should have received the message and, and, and been able to understand some spiritual truths. And he says this, 
He says about this, and he's talking about the deeper mysteries of Christ, and he wants to be able to tell them more advanced things about the gospel and how it works and how it changes their lives and transforms them. He says about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. And then get this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice. The ability to, to, to discern good from evil comes from practice. You might even say preparation. Now, as I hold this in my hand right here, this is, some of you will recognize this, this is a, a cell phone. And it's a, an iPhone, okay? Now, my folks, uh, who are very wonderful, godly people, uh, only had a flip phone till very, very recently. Uh, and so when they got one of these so-called smartphones, um, when, whenever that's around, they can try to learn it on their own, but it's going to be very difficult for them. They have me, they have my wife, they have all three of my kids, all have phones, and have been trained through practice how to use it. So if I could, I might bring somebody here who's never seen one of these, never used one, an elderly person, somebody who's new to this kind of gadget, right? And I could bring it up and, and, and everything and just say, okay, here you go, and sell it to them or give it to them and then walk out of the room and assume that they'd be good. And you get home and you're really excited to be able to use it, but you can't because you haven't trained for it, right? You haven't used it before. But the more you get to use it, that's why they call it a smartphone, I think. You get smarter as you use it. But you're sitting there and you're just going through it, and by the time that you spend a couple of weeks with it or whatever, all of a sudden, you know what? Hey, this really is helpful. Hey, I didn't know you could do that. Hey, you know? And I think what we do is we get here into, this, into the spiritual realm, and we think that all that stuff ought to just be given to us, that we ought to just through osmosis know how to handle immense blessing from God, know how to handle uh, <laughs> children for the first time, know how to handle uh, the, the, you know, something like we're going through right now with COVID-19 and other things. In reality, what we could be experiencing right now is some sort of wilderness period that God is using to prepare us for something amazing. And so if we learn that not to scorn those periods of time, but instead to embrace those as times of training by God, we might be shocked at the things he might do. God's aim has always been the same. He wants to cultivate a people whose hearts are fully devoted to him, fully given over to him so that he can bless them and that he might be with them. I want to call your attention to these words from Scripture. This is where Deuteronomy 8 goes afterwards. He says, So you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. See, so he's worried they're going to forget what they've learned. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest, here we go again, lest when you have eaten and are full and you've built good houses and you live in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, you see, multiplied, 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 then your heart be lifted up and you forget. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought water out of the 
flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. So he's saying all this prosperity you're going to get, it's the same God that led you through the wilderness and, and helped you survive all those animals out in the middle of nowhere who, who guided you and provided water and food for you. Same God. It is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord and you go after other gods and you serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord made to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord. So the assignment he gives them is kind of twofold, but the big aim of it is obedience. It's learn, we're prepared, and we stay prepared meaning we don't forget. We don't forget all of the great things that God has done for us. We don't forget that it's He who gives us the power to produce wealth. We don't forget that it's He who feeds us via uh, our daily bread, that He provides us water and shelter and safety and all the, all the blessings that we enjoy. We never forget it. We've been prepared. Our church, you personally, we're always prepared for wherever God is going to take us. And once we get there, we don't forget. We remember how he led us through the wilderness. The assignment is obedience, if you will. The way of the promised land, living, it's obedience. Followers of Jesus must understand our assignment. I can remember being in college, being given a term paper assignment, and he said, I want you to read uh, Mark chapter 4, this and that, and I thought it was on the parable of the soils, and I, I spent weeks working on this one paper. And when I went to go turn it in, I turned it in, and a week later or so, the paper came back to me. And the professor notified me that I'd written the paper on the wrong part of Mark 4. I had written on the wrong passage of Scripture. That I was supposed to be writing about the parable of the mustard seed, but not the parable of the soils. Um, I think people work a lot of times very hard on the wrong assignment. And we think that what we're supposed to be doing is focusing on, on the results. I need to go get to use uh, language from Deuteronomy 8, I need to go, my life is about pursuing pomegranates and fig trees and, and water and doing all these things. I need, to, I need to make sure that those are being provided for. He said, no, what you need to focus on is obeying God and, and walking in his way, knowing that it's he who provides those things for you. And those are things sometimes that we learn in the wilderness better than we learn them in the promised land. We learn them in the wilderness and when we do, then when we enter the promised land, our big task is to not forget. God says the aim, he tells them, of the wilderness and the promised land is to cultivate obedience, to keep his commands. And so we need to aim our preparation there. We need to also be preparing for our final promised land, uh, the life that awaits us in eternity. You know, when we get married, we do all sorts of things. If, you know, I, I have young couples coming to me that want to get married and, and they're on diets and they're, you know, he's showering a lot and you have all of these things going on that they're trying to do to prepare themselves for the big day. They're calling the florist and they're calling their, their third cousin once and 15th removed to see who they have never talked to to make sure that they're at the wedding. Uh, they're getting their hair cut. They're doing all of these things. Okay. And they're doing it because they know at some point that wedding day is coming and they want to be ready for it. A lot of Christians 
are more like people who look like they just got pulled right out of bed. Like, like they just, somebody had just startled them and they woke up and they haven't been preparing at all. I think many of us would be shocked where God might be ready to take us if we were ready. And so the question becomes, are you ready? And scripture gives us, just like they had this promised land, and we're now in a different wilderness between the time that Jesus ascended and the time that he returns. And so the image we get actually is this wedding feast of God. We read about it in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself, look at that word, ready. Ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. There's that obedience language again. Right now, in the current wilderness we're in, this is a great time for us to be preparing for that day. For our, if you will, our spiritual wedding. The day that the great wedding banquet of the Lamb takes place. In the wilderness we're in, it's easy to kind of get discouraged. It's easy to kind of let our minds wander. It's easy for us to go, oh man, why, why, why is this happening to me? Why can't we just go into the promised land? Well, I'm hoping that as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, that, that we'll get a little bit better sense for why, at least in their world, God had some things to teach them. And I got to believe that he's got some things to teach us as well. Whether it's the COVID-19 wilderness or the wilderness you were in before it or the one you may go through after it's over. God is making us ready. And so God's people have always been those who are ready. So when we take the Lord's Supper, like we're going to do here in just a moment, we take it with unleavened bread. That's a tradition that's gone on a very long time. And the tradition, it's bread and cup representing the body and blood of Jesus. But that, that piece of bread traditionally is unleavened. And the reason is they, they were told not to leaven their bread when they were leaving Egypt, the night that the Passover took place and God came through and delivered them out of Israel, he said, don't even bother to let the bread leaven because you're not going to be there long. You're going to be leaving in haste. And it's a good reminder to us every time that we take communion that we don't have long to be here. And so when you take that communion bread today, I want to encourage you to remember that, that whatever's going on right now is not forever. And that while uh, it may seem like forever, it really isn't, and that we don't have long to be here. So would you join me in prayer as we share the Lord's table together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the preparation that we're going through right now, we give you thanks for the fact that you are mindful of us and that you want us to be ready to enjoy the things that you prepare for us, both in this life and in the life to come we give you thanks. And so, Father, for disciplining us as a loving father disciplines a child, we give you thanks today. And as we take this unleavened bread, we, we profess we don't have long to be here, and we're grateful. And with the cup, Father, we remember the blood of Jesus, which was given for our sins, and we say thank you with our whole heart this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.